Uh, but this week we start off a two-part series on leadership. Uh, we're calling it Cult to Lead. And um, I'm really excited about this because I have uh, been a student of leadership literally over the last few years. I'm, I'm studying uh, my Master's of Leadership. It was something that God put on my heart a few years ago. And, um, and, and you know, I, I was undertaking this so that I could have a piece of paper. That was literally my, my intention. I just wanted a piece of paper so that I could talk to uh, maybe business people, other leaders, and go, hey, I've got, I've got a right to be in this circle, to be part of this room. And that was my intention. But let me tell you, when I started studying leadership, leadership theory, leadership practice, different aspects of leadership, not only was I tooled up and um, I was given practical handles on aspects of leadership that I had never thought about, but literally leadership, the way that I see leadership is so different that it not only impacted the way that I lead, but it impacts the way that I live. It changed my worldview, uh, the way that I see life, the way that I see every day, because I started to realize that God actually has a design for leadership. And moreover, I started to realize that God has a design for leadership that each and every single one of us carry. How many people here would say that they are a leader? Put up your hands. Okay, so we've got about five. That's, that's okay. How many of you would say you like to think that one day you will be a leader? Even less. That's really terrible, guys. Now, how many of you have ever been under bad leadership? Okay, a few more. Why are you guys looking at me? Bad leadership has a way of staying in your soul, doesn't it? Bad leadership has a way of really influencing the way that you see leadership and life, doesn't it? And honestly, I think that there was so much on my experience that pulled me towards an understanding of leadership that choked up what God was trying to do in my life and in my leadership. And over the course of this week and next week, I'm hoping to really pull apart leadership to a point where you understand that you have a call to lead and also to then go, okay, now that I have this call to lead, what do I do with this call? Because we all know that when you have bad leadership, people are affected. Bad leadership is not contained just to a simple task. Bad leadership influences, impacts lives. But in the same way, good leadership doesn't just influence a task and, and influence an event or a program. Good leadership influences and impacts lives. And there is such a heavy necessity for leadership in our day and age. Our, our town is about to go to uh, a local election and I was looking through all the councillors and all the people that are standing. And you know what? I, I'm a little bit sad because I did not spot easily a single Christian amongst all of the councillors that are standing this time around in our town. I want to see that changed because good leadership will influence lives in a powerful way. And I believe that Christians should be the best leaders. And I'm going to unpack that for you. I'm going to show that to you. But before we go any further, let's pray, hey? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you are the ultimate designer. 
that when you created us, you didn't just put a few bits and pieces together uh, in, in a random fashion, but you knit us together in our mother's womb. You knew us, you saw us, and you designed us for purpose, and you designed us to have impact. You designed us for meaning, and I thank you that leadership is part of that. And I pray to God that you help us to grow in this. I pray that you speak to us. Right now, God, I also want to speak into every person that has been hurt by leadership. And I pray for those who have been hurt by leadership and already are starting to have their walls up and are starting to have this sense of, I don't really want what's being spoken about today. And I pray to God that you just show that leadership is not how they've experienced it, but your intention for leadership is good. Your intention for leadership is gracious. Your intention for leadership transforms and impacts lives positively. And I pray that they will see that they have this call as well. I thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Turn with me in your Bibles. It's always a great place to start. John chapter 13. At conference this week, there was a speaker who liked to say, turn on your Bibles, as about 80% of you are right now. Because we know that the Bible is a lot more accessible than ever before on technology. If you're at John 13, say, got it. got it. Awesome. So John 13, let me read this to you. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. The whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. See, Jesus is an amazing leader. Agree? Yep. Jesus is pretty amazing as a leader, isn't he? I mean, for one person to only do three years of public ministry and then to have millennia of impact on this world, he's a pretty good leader. 
I wish that I had a fraction of the ability to influence and impact the world that Jesus had. And, and, and he is such an amazing leader. But honestly, it's only in the last 40 to 50 years that people have started to realize and understand the proper impact and the principles behind Jesus' leadership in a way that is being researched and understood. Let me give you an example. In 1927, there was a definition of leadership that was going around, and this is what it said. Leadership is the ability to impress the will of the leader on those led and induce obedience, respect, loyalty, and cooperation. This was written close to a hundred years ago. And the whole idea of leadership, as this was defined back in 1927, was that a leader is a person who stands above everyone else and imposes his, and back in those days it would probably have been a his, his will upon everyone else. So this is what I want, and so you're going to do it. I am going to have your obedience. I'm going to have your loyalty. I'm going to have your cooperation. I am going to have your respect. And so this leader would use charisma sometimes, would use manipulation, would use coercion, would use force, would use bribery, whatever it took for other people to follow what he said. You know, when you watch old gangster movies, has anyone ever watched old gangster movies? Anyone like old gangster? I love it. I'm not recommending any because most of them have got stuff that not everyone should watch. But I've always been really taken by the fact that the person who is leading the mafia, the gang, is this fat old man who really is quite slow and useless. And he's surrounded by young, good-looking men who all know how to shoot their guns, who know how to get into a fist fight and who probably would be able to kill their mafia boss if they wanted to. But this boss somehow commanded the respect, the loyalty, uh, the, the cooperation of all these underlings. But with every gang movie, that guy's always going to die because there's going to be some young guy that comes up and goes, why are you listening to that fat slob? And anyway, that's gangster movies. But it's just to kind of show you this picture of this, this, this center of power. Back a hundred years ago, all power lay in the leader. That is how it was seen. That was how it was conducted. Let me be honest. I have been under such leadership even in my 30 plus years of life on this earth. And most of you that would have said that you have been under bad leadership have probably been under someone who led in this very way, using manipulation, using coercion, not listening to others around him or her. That is still to this day a definition of leadership that is in operation in our world. But did you know that that is actually a dinosaur model of leadership? That is actually proven to be one of the least effective forms of leadership. That leadership is only effective on a battlefield. Honestly, if you are going to war and you are having bullets flying all over your head, you want a leader who is going to be able to gather everyone and do something about it. But when you use that leadership in a home, you turn your home into a battleground. When you use that leadership in the company, that organization that you are in, you turn that company and that organization into a battlefield. That leadership is effective in emergencies and emergencies only. 
It is not effective in other ways, shapes and forms. Back in the 1990s, there was this different sense of leadership coming through. I want to show this to you because I want you to see that maybe perhaps the way that you see leadership is not completely according to what the research is showing. In 1990s, it says that leadership assists in mobilizing a group to make a hard decision. Notice that there is this change from the power uh, lying with one person to the power lying within a group to make a decision. There is this shift from where only one person can be the leader to a leader facilitating a group to make decisions together, right? And then furthermore, a little bit later, Joseph Rost, who was a leadership scholar, he made this definition of leadership through his research on how leadership is operating in the world today. And he says this, leadership is an influence relationship among leaders and followers who intend real changes that reflect their mutual purpose. Now, this is a little bit dense, and I want to show you a few key things about what Joseph Rost was saying. Leadership is an influence relationship. Notice that. He did not say leadership is what a person uses, what the leader uses. He says it's an influence relationship among leaders and followers. If a person does not have followers, he cannot exercise leadership. So there is this sense that not only does the leader hold power, but the followers also hold some sort of influence and power as well. And what does this relationship do? Well, it is to make changes. Leadership necessarily creates change. Leadership without change is not leadership. Because you don't need leadership if there's not going to be change. You need management, right? But what are you changing? And that's where it says it reflects, those changes reflect their mutual purpose. The mutual purpose. Leadership is about us coming together, knowing that there is a place that we want to go to, and we go together making those changes in order to make those steps. Now, this is a really powerful definition as you think about the places that you have some kind of leadership, whether you are the leader or you are a follower. Consider the family unit. There are parents and there are children. If you have got parents and children in the same place, you, are, uh, you can consider that a team. And where does, in, where does leadership lie? It lies in the relationships, not in the person. It lies in the relationships of everyone. It, re it relies on this relationship dynamic where there could be respect, there could be cooperation, there could be loyalty, there could be culture, there could be all of these things coming together so that the family is moving forward, making changes. Some of those changes are very literal. If you have a two-year-old, there are many changes that are taking place. They are becoming toilet trained so you can move on from, from, from nappies and save yourself a whole bunch of money. Am I right? Some of you are like, not really. Like, the moment I said nappies, your head went somewhere else. Is that what happened? 
you know. But your child goes to school, starts school. That's another change. Is that change moving in the right direction? Is there a purpose to this relationship? Is there a purpose to what is taking place? You, you need to think about this. When my family migrated from Singapore to Paris, there was a purpose behind that change. And we had to navigate that together. And as a family unit, my parents exercised leadership and brought my sister and I into that conversation because there was changes that were about to happen that was going to influence the direction of our lives. There's leadership right there. When you are an employee in a company, you have leadership as well. You have the ability to impact decisions that are being made, changes that are being made in order that the whole organization is going in a direction. Let me put this forward to you. If you are part of an organization and you do not know what the direction and purpose is of that organization, you are not under good leadership. If you're simply there to make a buck, you're probably going to be a drain on that organization. Now, many organizations exist that way, and many of them don't need your loyalty. They just need you to be their hands and their feet for a little while. Join a Maccas. That's cool. But you will not experience great leadership in such a circle. Just putting that out there. But I want to go a step further, and I want to talk to you about a form of leadership that has revolutionized the way that I see leadership. It is called servant leadership. And servant leadership was actually coined by a um, leadership thought leader, and his name is Robert Greenleaf. In 1970, he wrote an essay called Servant Leadership. And he was the first person to put the words servant and leadership together. And that essay became so popular that he actually ended up writing a book called Servant Leadership. I mean, this guy is so original. Um, uh, he wrote a book called Servant Leadership that to this day is being used in secular universities to teach leadership principles. It was written in 1970. If you have been in a church long enough, if you've probably, like me, been part of a Methodist church, you would have heard Servant Leadership being thrown out as the form of leadership. But I never understood it until I started studying this four years ago, three years ago. And it says this, a servant leader focuses primarily on the growth and well-being of people and the communities to which they belong. While traditional leadership generally involves the accumulation and exercise of power by one at the top of the pyramid, servant leadership is different. The servant leader shares power puts the needs of others first, and helps people develop and perform as highly as possible. Has anyone ever come across such a definition of leadership? This guy was influenced by his Christian faith, but he wrote for a secular environment. And do you know that, how many of you have heard of Stephen Covey before? Stephen Covey wrote Habits of Highly Effective People. Right? I think 10 habits, 20 habits, seven? Okay. A number of effective habits. I have clearly not read that book. There is another guy named Ken Blanchard. He has written The One Minute Manager. He has written about situational leadership. You would have heard about maybe a younger guy named Simon Sinek. He's written about the why behind leadership, transformational leadership. All of these thought leaders have come from this core thought about servant leadership. Those are multi-award winning 
millions of copies sold across the world, all coming from this thought that leadership, and particularly servant leadership, is something that is worth looking into. Research shows that this form of leadership is highly effective, increasing the productivity, increasing the effectiveness of teams, of organizations. I'm not just talking about a theological leadership. I'm talking about a leadership that works. And that blew my mind because let me tell you what happened when I was growing up. When I was growing up and I heard about servant leadership, this is how it was used. It was used by my leaders to tell me that if I wanted to be a leader, I needed to put out the chairs. Anyone had a similar experience? Oh, you want leadership? Yeah, put out the chairs. You need to learn how to serve before you can learn how to lead. So I put out the chairs, put out the chairs, put out the chairs. And that's what I continue to, yeah, yeah. If you want to be a leader, you need to learn how to serve. So, so you need to clean the toilets. You need to go get the coffee. You need to go get the water. You need to go clean this. You need to go clean that. Come on, why are you whinging? Because you need to learn how to serve before you can lead. And then what I noticed is that my leaders did not do as much of that as I did. Somehow, when you become a leader, you no longer need to serve. Interesting, isn't it? So that is, it, it wasn't servant leadership, it was more like servant to leadership. It was a pathway. And I noticed, I noticed that the people who continued to serve were the ones that were doormats. Well, the ones that got trodden upon, oh, they're, they're so gracious to everyone, they're so nice to everyone, and, and, and they get run over. And so when I heard servant leadership, I was like, what a hogwash. Because I didn't really understand what servant leadership was. And so when I got my first full proper leadership position when I was at the age of 24, given a campus to run, I thought, that what leadership was, was much like the 1927 model, where I needed to impose my will on people, that my effectiveness as a leader is how well I get people to fall in line and to obey what I needed them to do. And so I would tell people off all the time. Because it's easy to shout at people and tell them you're doing the wrong thing. I remember my pastor coming to me and said, Nate, why are you telling all these people off? None of them are the problems. The one that are the problems are not even in the circle and you're still shouting and telling them off. I was like, isn't that leadership? Isn't that leadership? What is leadership? Perhaps there is something different that we need to see. You see, what Jesus said in Luke 22, 24 to 27, he was teaching his disciples about leadership, about service. And it says this, a dispute also arose among them, them being the disciples, as to which of them was considered the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Isn't that interesting? These loudmouth, heavy-handed leaders, somehow they will tell you that what they're doing is being your benefactor. How many have experienced leaders like that? You do this and you do this and I gave you the job in the first place. So why are you not listening? I am your mother. My mom has never said that to me like that. Partly because she doesn't have a man's voice. I am your I've fed you all this time. Why are you not doing what I've told you to do? I am your benefactor. The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, 
and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table, the one who serves, is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that you are not to exercise authority like those leaders. And let me tell you something about that. It does not make sense. You are the leader. You're supposed to be at the table. But I'm telling you, that's not how it works in the kingdom. Let me tell you that servant leadership is hard because servant leadership goes against the grain of culture. Servant leadership does not make sense in the light of culture. You're the leader. Why are you doing that? Jesus doesn't even resolve that. He said, who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? Let me tell you, though, the one who serves is the great. No, no, no. He doesn't even say that. He just says, but I am among you as the one who serves. He also says in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Servant leadership is hard, but servant leadership is good. Let me give you three key thoughts about servant leadership from John chapter 13, the passage that we read at the start of this morning. The first thing that you need to understand about servant leadership is that it is all about relationship. Servant leadership is all about relationship. Why do I say that? Well, remember, they were having this Passover meal. And as Jesus approached Peter, Peter says, Jesus, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, yes, I am. And then Peter says, Lord, you shall not wash my feet. And this is what Jesus says. Take note of it. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. This is really interesting. And I used to think that Jesus was talking about washing as in salvation. Right? It's like, if I save you, if, if I wash you, if I give you salvation, then you have part. No, but notice what Jesus says after that. He says that you are all clean. Remember, he already tells them, you are all clean, though not every one of you, which was re referring to Judas, because he knew that Judas's heart was not really with him. So he knew that all of them were already clean. So it wasn't about salvation. It was about service. If you allow me to wash your feet, then you have a part in me. Servant leadership is about bringing people to become a part of your life through your service. People respond to servant leaders not because of how effective they are necessarily, but it's more because this person was willing to humble themselves and to invite you into their life through their service. When we think about servant leadership, it is less about the tasks, it's less about the programs, it's less about the events, it's less about the results, and it's more about the relationship. It is about bringing people into a part of your life and being a part of their life. Remember Joseph Rost's uh, definition of leadership. He says is the leadership is the relationship, the influence relationship. So many leaders try to influence other people without relationship. So many people try to use position and authority to tell people what to do rather than to actually understand one another. Why? Because people suck. 
Am I allowed to say that? I mean, Mitch, you are great. You are amazing. I love seeing how you served at state conference and giving your time. I just looked at your face. I just needed to say something. I'm sorry. <laughs> but people sometimes are messy. People sometimes are difficult. And I can understand this. For many years of my life, in my leadership, I was like, I'll do the stuff, but I won't do the people side of stuff. You know, get me to write rosters, get me to teach, get me to do all of that stuff, but you want me to get to know that person? You want me to risk my sanity by having a conversation with that person who clearly needs to have some medication? Really? Yes, really. Jesus served even Judas Iscariot. Jesus brought Judas into his relationship. If I wash you, you are part of me. He said that to Peter, but he also would have been saying that to Judas. I'm washing you so you are a part of... What? How many people are willing to use that kind of leadership that says, you have every chance to hurt me, but I'm still going to get to know you. You have every chance to betray me, but I'm still going to open myself up and be in relationship with you. It's crazy. But before your mind takes you to all the people that you need to serve, let me give you the second point about servant leadership. Servant leadership is not just about relationship, but is about serving needs. Now, be really careful about what you define as need. See, when Jesus was washing Peter's feet, or about to, and he says, you will have no part in me, what did Peter say? Well, Jesus, they're not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well. I want to be completely a part of you, right? Which is a pretty noble sentiment, but what did Jesus say? He said, no, 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 you've already bathed, you're clean, I only need to wash your feet. This is a powerful statement. Why? Because it draws boundaries around what servant leadership is about. Servant leadership is about helping people with their burdens, but it's not about taking people's loads. What am I saying? I'm saying this from Galatians chapter 6. You can read this for yourself. Galatians 6, 2-5 says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in that way you will fulfill the law of Christ. But then it goes on in verse 5 to say, For each one should carry their own load. So, carry each other's burdens, each one should carry your own load. Which one is correct? Both. Why? Because burden, in the, in, in the Greek, it refers to this weight, to this load that is beyond what I can bear. But it says load, at the end, each one should carry their own load. What does that load mean? That load means the person's bills. We are meant to help people carry what they cannot carry by themselves, but we're not meant to pay their bills. In the Hebrew culture, feet washing was a very common thing. Whenever you went to someone's house because you did not have these amazing clothes and Adidas uh, shoes, you would be wearing sandals and collecting dust along the way. And you would go to this house and it was the duty of the servant to come and wash your feet. This was someone else's duty to wash your feet. But was it the servant's duty to wash under your armpits as well? 
Was it to wash behind your ears and make sure that you're squeaky clean? No, that's your duty. You rock up to the party making sure that you have had your bath, but the servant will wash the part that has gotten dirty and it's their duty. What Jesus was saying is that I'm willing to humble myself to do the duty of a servant, but I'm not going to take your responsibility. And so when we practice servant leadership, we have to be very careful that we are washing people's feet, but we're not washing their armpits. That is tweetable. You should be putting that on your social media. Servant leadership is about washing feet, not armpits. Why? Because it's true. When I start washing your armpit, you become less capable of handling your life. When I pay your bills for you, you become less responsible and less able to achieve the fullness of your life. Remember what servant leadership is about? Servant leadership is about helping people become the best versions of them. When I am actually enabling you to stay small, when I'm actually enabling you to stay weak and useless, I'm being a terrible servant leader. And so what I need to do is, one, invite people into relationship and then get to know their needs. What is your journey right now? What have you already learned? Oh, you've already learned that? Keep going at it. You're struggling? That's okay. That's how you become strong. I'm not going to help you with that. Oh, you've never faced this situation before. It's difficult for you. You're experiencing emotions that you never knew that you had. Okay, that's okay. Let me help you carry that burden. But I will not carry your load for you. Servant leadership is boundaried. We don't help people by paying their bills. We help people by meeting their needs. Needs that they are unable to meet by their own. Is there a tick sheet on what is a person's load and what is a burden? If you've got one, please send it to me. Because people are difficult. I don't always know what is your needs and I don't always know what is your loads. But as a servant leader, I invest in the relationship to get to know where you are at. And so here's also a little bit of an out. If a person is never willing to pay their loads, pay their bills, carry their load, then you can't really meet their needs. They might want you to pay their bills, but that's not your responsibility because you'll be enabling them to stay small. And that is one of the most difficult decisions that I have to make as a pastor. When I see a person and I'm telling them, helping them, coaching them, training them to see their loads and helping them to carry it, but they're not willing to, but they're wanting me to pay their bills, I'm like, that's not my responsibility. You don't love me. You don't really care about me. See you later. I, I'm not going to pay your bills for you. I'm not. It's gone really quiet here. <laughs> Maybe some of you have gotten my tough love before. And... But the final thing about servant leadership that I want to point out. After Jesus washes their feet, what did it say? It says that he took his regular, his position. What was Jesus' position? It was at the center of the table. It was at the head of the table. It's not that when you're a servant leader, you have no authority. It's that you know your authority. You can always go back to your authority, but you don't need to exercise your authority all the time. He goes back to his spot, and then he tells them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. I am your teacher and Lord. Simple. You know that. 
but you've also now just seen me model to you service. And what does he say? Now praise me for being humble. No, no, he says, now go do the same. See, one of the greatest things about servant leadership is that it is not about a task, it is not about an event, it is not even about right now. It's actually about future generations to come. When you read the Bible in its entirety, there is this really terrible tragedy about the Old Testament. We read about these amazing people like Gideon, like David, like Samuel, like Elijah. We read about them, but notice that whenever they died, the next generation walked away from God. Whenever the leader in the Old Testament died, it was rare that the next generation continued on the journey. Why? Because their leadership was only about the now. It was only about the prosperity for now. It was only about what we can get now. But when Jesus came, yes, he managed to draw crowds, but he also had his 12 disciples. And out of that, he had his three core disciples. And out of those 12, one of them was a bad egg. So there's only 11 of them. Out of those 11, he told them, make sure the next generation understands service. Make sure the next generation understand all that I've taught you. And because of this generational leadership, Christianity continues on the face of this planet 2,000 years later. Servant leadership isn't just about what you get in a moment. And you know, Beck and I have been talking about this. And you know what? I love Lift Church. And I believe that there's going to be great things under my leadership over the next, I don't know how long God has got for me, maybe the next 30 years, maybe the next five. I don't know. But I believe that there's great things that are going to happen under my leadership. But you know what? I want the next generation to go further than I've ever gone. I want a generation after that to go even further than what that generation. I'm going to teach them service. I'm going to teach them servant leadership. I'm going to model because greatness comes in the next generation. With servant leadership, one of the perspectives is less about what do I get and is more about what am I sowing. How cool is that? So those three things, servant leadership is about relationship. It's about meeting needs. And it's about the future generations. Next week, we're going to talk about more practical stuff to do with servant leadership. But this morning, I want to close with a thought. I think Jesus knew that there couldn't be servant leaders rising among his disciples if he didn't serve them. One of the things that I've learned is that service can only truly take place when you have been served, when you know that you've been served. When I've served under leaders who would not serve me, I did not serve them. I was simply obligated to them. If not, they would hurt me. And let me tell you, I've been there. I was in the army for two years. Not really the army, it was a conscript. But in that time, if I did not obey my sergeants, they would make my life hell. Was I serving them? Nah, hell no. Seriously, they sucked. But I would get in trouble, so I would do it. The moment I could check out of there, I checked out. I was, I'm gone. But when I had a leader who served me, and at Centerpoint Church, I received that from Pastor Joel, 
He saw me, he saw my needs, he saw my insecurities, he saw the things that I needed to grow in. He did not pay my bills, but he helped me carry my burdens. And because of that, I can stand here and go, oh, leadership is actually really cool. Leadership is actually awesome. Leadership actually has a future. And let me tell you something, when you learn and when you've been served by someone and you want to serve other people, that's leadership. When I say that every person has been called to leadership, I mean it. Because if you can serve, you can lead. You might say to yourself, I don't know if I can lead. But if I asked you, can you serve? Most of you would say, I can serve in some way, shape or form. You might not stand on this pulpit and preach. You might not take charge of a whole team. But wherever you are, you can serve people. You can carry people's burdens and you can see them grow. You can see the best come out of them. And that's leadership. But first, you need to know what it's like to be served. And when I look at this and I consider Peter, he had Jesus come to him. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, Savior of the world, come to him. And he said, Lord, you, you, no, not me. Some of us think that being served is easy. But being served in a way that brings you into deep relationship, some of us don't allow that. We look at our feet and we go, that's too dirty. That's too messed up. Let me clean myself up and then I'll come back to you. No, no, seriously, when I was preparing this message, this was the point that God impressed on my heart. I love the practicals of servant leadership. We could talk about that for the next five hours, but God put this on my heart. That some of you don't know how to be served. Maybe it was because people who pretended to serve you hurt you. Maybe it's because people gave you this idea that if you don't get clean, Jesus won't come to you. Maybe you got this idea that if you allow someone to wash your feet, you then become vulnerable to whatever they are going to ask of you. And you don't know whether you can trust them. The more I've journeyed in my servant leadership, the more I've had to go, God, I, I, I need you to wash my feet. I actually need this because I can't do this by myself. And I want to be part of this relationship. There are burdens that I can't carry by myself. There's a great level of vulnerability. And let me tell you, it's scary. It's scary to be open to God. Every person that tells you it's easy, they don't have emotions. They don't. They don't understand what it's like to feel shame. They don't understand what it's like to feel guilt. Or maybe they're just kids, because kids don't feel shame and guilt. But isn't that what the Bible, isn't that what the Bible tells us? If you want to approach Jesus, be like kids. Vulnerable, open, and say, I need this. I love my nephews. They'll come to me and ask me the most ridiculous things. They'll ask me to do crossword puzzles with them. They ask me to play stupid games with them that I have got no idea how to play. You know when they have those imaginary worlds, but they don't explain how the imaginary world works? But they'll still come to you and say, please be a part of my world. Isn't that one of the most precious things ever? When a child would say, please be a part of my world. In the same way, Jesus sees you and sees your needs. And when you go to him and say, I don't know how to handle this, please be a part of my world. Jesus says, yes.
This is the most precious thing ever. Everyone, please close your eyes for a moment. We're going to say a prayer together. And this prayer is to invite Jesus into your life. It's to say, yes, Jesus, I want to have relationship with you. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a promise from God. So I want to lead you in this prayer. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I know that I have sinned. I know I've fallen short. I want you to live in me. Wash me clean. Make me whole. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.